Good morning. It's nice to be back here at All Souls. For those of you who might not know me, my name is Marcus Clausley. I am an assisting priest, that is, I help out at Church of the Apostles downtown, but my main job is as a uh, professor of New Testament at CIU, where I teach in the seminary. Um, I'm married to Julia, my wonderful wife of 26 years, and we have four lovely daughters um, between 14 and 22 this year. We're, we're on an even year, so um, the Lord's been very uh, gracious to us. Um, but um, as I was thinking about our passage this morning um, and reflecting on it, um, I couldn't help but be drawn again to one of my favorite passages from one of my favorite books in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus announces the coming of the kingdom of God. And uh, if you know something about New Testament studies, there is a lot written on the topic of the kingdom, what it is, and how it should be understood. But this morning, I just want to think with you about it just kind of in practical terms, just in terms of, of leadership, of, of who gets to say what happens in this world. And... Uh, like it or not, we are back in another presidential election cycle. And in our country, we are deciding once again who we think ought to be able to set the tone for our country. And I've been observing these things <clears throat> for my whole life. As a kid, I was kind of interested in politics and been watching these things. And I don't know if you see this, but it, it just seems to me that a lot of times during this presidential, like every kind of hope cynicism cycle, right? There is this hope that actually this time around, we're going to get someone who's just going to do it right, right? They're going to have good laws. They're going to just be the kind of representative for America we want them to be. They're going to help us live good, prosperous lives. We kind of have that, that hope, right? That's why people go out and listen and participate. And then there's kind of a cynicism, right? We've heard this all before. In fact, four years ago, they were saying the same things. Did, did they do any of those things, right? Is this really going to be different, or is it just going to be the same old, same old? And so we get this kind of hope cynical cycle that, that just seems to be around there. And I don't really know the psychological reason for it, but I have a theological proposition and that's because in our hearts, deep down somewhere, we really know what good leadership looks like. We know someone is able to lead us selflessly and not for personal political goals. We know that there's someone out there who is truly just and fair and a good manager of the world's resources. And we know deep down there is someone out there who actually cares about the little guy and will help every citizen live prosperously and in peace and safety. We know it's out there, and we hope that it's going to be in our particular political leadership. And we're disappointed. And I think we're disappointed because we really want God to be the king of the world. We really want God to run things. We know that if he ran things, his own creation that he made, and took care of his people, 
like a shepherd takes care of his sheep, we would really be in good hands. And you know, we have that hope because that's how it was supposed to be. Right? The creation story is just a way of establishing that the God who made everything is king of the world. And we are his people. And to rule this world, he set our first parents, Adam and Eve, as his representatives, as his image on the earth, to run the world according to his ways. And if they would do that, it would be the kind of leadership we really need. God would be king, and those who are running it in his stead would do it in a just and fair way. But you know how the story goes. Our first parents chose the way, the rebellion of the serpent, rather than the ways of God, and plunged us into this mess that we are in. And the question at that point is, will God get his reign back? Right? The question really that, I think that's why the Old Testament is so long. It's trying to answer this question. Will God get his reign back? Will he get his earth back? Because right now, it seems to be under the control of Satan and of people who do his will. And that's the story. God does get his reign back. God spends all his time getting his reign back through the people of Israel. He makes a promise to Abraham that he would have a nation who would live in a land and be a blessing to the world. And the blessing would be that they would be under the laws of God. And that's what we see when God rescues Israel out of Egypt. He brings them to the desert and he gives them a law. He commissions them to be his kingdom of priests. And the law tells them how they're supposed to live under his reign so that he can live among them, among a holy people. And the law provides sacrifices so that when they sin, they can deal with that and, and, and remain God's people and live his ways and live under his leadership. And then in time, God gives them a king. And the king is supposed to rule over them, make sure they keep the law, represent them to God. But he's more than a king, right? Psalm 2 tells us that the king of Israel is actually the king of the world. Because if you reign over God's holy people, keeping God's holy laws, then you are the king, right? You are the king of the world. In fact, the king of Israel was called the adopted son of God. He was so close to him, kind of like Adam, he was so close to him that he was considered a son of God. Not in the sense that he was God, but in terms of his connection. Right? The king of Israel was a big deal, is a big deal. And so Israel was given this task to represent God on the earth and to show people what a people living under just leadership would look like. And once again, you know how the story goes. It didn't last very long. I mean, it was 400 years. But most of the kings of Israel were corrupt. And instead of leading the people to God, they lead the people away from God. And God is merciful. God is patient. 
and he sends his prophets to call them back. And that's what we heard this morning in, the, in our reading from Jeremiah, where we hear God, <clears throat> God calling them back to himself so that he can establish his reign through them on earth. Listen to just a couple verses from Jeremiah chapter 4. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove the, your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, that is in God, and in him shall they glory. If Israel would turn back to God, then all nations will see God's mercy and they will receive that blessing. They'll bless themselves in Israel. They can be restored to God himself. And this mercy that we see here is indicative of what we read in, together this morning from Psalm 130. Listen again to verses 3 and 4. These are some of the most wonderful passages in Scripture. If you, Lord, were to mark what is done amiss, O Lord, who could abide it? For there is mercy with you, therefore you shall be feared. God is merciful. God is patient. God is kind. He's been kind to you and to me our whole lives. He hasn't punished us as we deserved. He's patient. He's good. But even God's patience has limits. And we see that happening with Israel. After a time, their rebellion grows so great that God has to send them into exile. He has to kick them out of the land for a period of time. And that, my friends, was really the end of the kingdom of God on the earth, at least for a time. Israel was sent out. They were under foreign domination. Even the few that returned later and for the next 400 years or so, they lived under foreign domination and they had no king. They had no king in the line of David, no Messiah. And so the question is, would God restore his kingdom once again, or was this the end of the story? And that's why when Jesus shows up, as we see in Mark chapter 1, and says this brief little sermon, much shorter than mine this morning, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, everybody listened really carefully. They wondered whether God was on the move again, kind of like in, kind of like in the Chronicles of Narnia where the, 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 the snow begins to thaw, where it seems that Aslan is again on the move. These little statements caused a lot of speculation. Is God at it again? Will he restore Israel? Will he restore the Messiah, the King? Will things go on again? And the answer was both yes and no. God was restoring the kingdom, but he was not restoring the status quo. He was doing something even better. And Mark helps us understand this by giving us a little background about Jesus at the beginning of chapter 1. I just want to share a couple things with you that indicate that the kingdom that Jesus is offering is the kingdom from the Old Testament. It is God restoring his reign, but it's even better. It's even better. 
first Mark introduces us to John the Baptist. By the way, he wasn't a Baptist, <laughs> nor was he an Anglican. A better way to call him is John the Baptizer, because that's what he did. He was out in the wilderness calling people to repentance, and when they came and confessed their sins, they were baptized as a sign of that cleansing, right? And they were basically saying, we are ready for God when he comes. And that was, that was John's task. And Mark tells us that this thing that John was doing was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that Yahweh said he would send someone in front of him who would prepare the way for him to come, and then he would come. Okay, now we need to use some logic. If John is the one preparing the way for Yahweh to come, and the person who comes after him is Jesus, what is Mark insinuating about Jesus? That he is in some way Yahweh. That in him, Yahweh is active. And maybe even more than that, that Jesus himself is Yahweh. But Mark confirms this a bit more. John's message about Jesus was that he would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. Who's the one in the Old Testament who gives the Holy Spirit? Only Yahweh. Yahweh sends his spirit on people. If Jesus is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit, then he himself must be Yahweh. And then third, we have the picture of the baptism, where as Jesus is coming out of the water, what happens? We see the heavens ripped open, the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, right? Not to receive the Spirit as a sign that the Spirit is with him, and a voice from heaven declaring him, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We have a picture of the Holy Trinity together beginning the process of restoring God's reign on the earth. And the declaration of Jesus as the Son of God has two meanings. One, we've already talked about, that he is the Son of God, the King of Israel. But as these other things demonstrate, he's more than just a human who, is, who functions as a Son of God. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. And so what is this new kingdom that Jesus is announcing? That God himself, as a human, is restoring the kingdom, restoring his rule over the earth. The kingdom, the Jesus message that the kingdom of God is at hand is not saying it's going to come eventually. That expression, something is at hand, means it's kind of right there. The guests are at the door and knocking. They're there for all practical purposes. It hasn't been fully realized yet. They haven't walked into the house and have, start, and have greeted everybody, but they are at hand. They are there. And Jesus is saying, I am the king, and God's reign is here. God's reign is here, and it's different than it was. God himself is coming to reign. And more than that, the whole gospel reminds us that this reign not only includes God taking back what is his, but dealing with our sins and rebellion. And that's why the rest of the Gospel of Mark is about the death of the Messiah, about Jesus who comes and who gives his life so that he can restore people 
fully from their sins so that they can live in God's presence as holy people. That's why the king has to die. The kingdom of heaven is here, but it can only come once the Messiah has given his life for his people. It's incredible. God is restoring everything. It hasn't happened in its fullness yet, but it's happened completely in the person of Jesus Christ. Our focus here today, our focus in the Eucharist. That's why we love him. That's why we worship him. That's why we want to we follow him. Because he is that. He is that leader that we so desperately long for. And one day he is going to set up his kingdom and everything will be put to right. That is the promise. That's why I'm a Christian. Because I'm looking for that day. I'm going to participate in the presidential election. I mean, I'm not going to run. I'm going to vote. I'll do my civic duty. But I don't really have a lot of hope for whoever it is. I mean, I'll pray for them. But I don't have a lot of hope that they're going to be able to do everything I really desperately want them to do. My hope, and I hope your hope today, is in King Jesus. The gospel demonstrates he is God's ruler. He is worth believing. He is worth following. And one day, it will be rewarded. That is our hope. And we are invited to participate in the second part of Jesus' statement where he says, repent and believe the gospel. We enter God's kingdom not by demonstrating our worthiness, but by acknowledging our unworthiness. We don't deserve to participate. But God has made us worthy, and we say, I reject my rebellion, and I want you. I want what you offer. And then we do that in faith. Believe the gospel means it hasn't happened yet, but we order our lives around it. My daughter, Anna, our oldest, just got engaged. And you know what she got? What every girl gets, an engagement ring. A sign of the promise. They are not married. They do not have, they, they cannot live fully as husband and wife yet. But that ring is a sign that you should, that she should order her life completely around an event that has yet to take place, and that's the wedding. And that's what we're doing between now and June. We're doing a lot of wedding preparations because of the promise. It's all in faith. Hasn't happened. But we're ordering our life, everything we do, around that event. And that's what it means to believe the gospel, to say yes to God, and then to live accordingly, to act as though it has taken place because it will take place. The kingdom of God is at hand in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus tells Israel in Mark 1 is true for us today. We live with one foot in this world and one foot in the coming kingdom of God, and it's hard. But God asks us to do it in faith and to live as his ambassadors, to be fishers of men, to tell others about the hope that we have. And so, as you and I go through another election cycle, 
I hope we can avoid the hope and cynicism cycle that comes, up, that comes during this time because our hope is in our true King, King Jesus. We are the subjects of the true King of this world, and one day, one day, He will return and restore His reign forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.